Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. John also wrote this book, which tells us a whole lot more about the effect of the cross of Christ than just what happened on the cross of Christ. Thank you, Brother James, for leading us in prayer. Revelation chapter 21. In my youth, the verses that I read beginning this first service today, verses 11 through 15 of chapter 20, were the most fearful in the Bible to me. I remember them distinctly. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, and that 15th verse, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Having heard the Arminian scheme of salvation my whole life, my reasoning was this simple. Did my faith cause God to bend over in his throne and write my name in his book of life? Impossible. No way. Before I ever knew the truth. No way did I do something to get my name written in the book of life. Then to learn that our names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world is a tremendous fact indeed and something for which to give great thanks. You know, we used to sing, there's a new name written down in glory. Some of you have sung that in the past. But there are no new names written down in glory. They were all written down before the foundation of the world. Before creation, they were written down. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Children, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Have you ever told a lie? Then to the lake of fire you shall go. It's a wonderful combination. You get to drown and you get burned. It's pretty creative. Hate lying. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. You say, well, I've already lied. Then confess your sins and repent and beg on God for mercy through Jesus Christ. That's what I've done, and all my lies are paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's compare God's legal system and its process of a thorough trial and reward during trial. By looking at Abel. Abel died 6,000 years ago for crimes, sins, and was taken from earth into heaven. Remember, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Abel was a sinner too. Abel died 6,000 years ago for his sins. Abel's death was comparable to Charles Manson's arrest. No further threat to await his trial. Abel has been in heaven with God since his death, 6,000 years, awaiting his trial. Abel's incarceration is better than Manson's, 
holding in jail or detention center in L.A. due to his good behavior and God's electing grace. He was remanded to heaven instead of remanded to hell. Abel has been enjoying peace with God while Cain was held in pain for 6,000 years. Judgment Day will be Abel's hearing, trial, defense, prosecution, and sentencing. The books will reveal that Abel was a sinner sufficiently like Cain to also go to hell. Almighty God, by his seated judge, Jesus Christ, will justify Abel to eternal heaven. Almighty God, by his seated judge, Jesus Christ, will admit many good deeds done by Abel. The wicked have no good deeds because the wicked do not do them in faith. The plowing of the wicked is sin according to the Bible. They will rule by the book of life. The book of life of the lamb slain that Jesus fully paid for all of Abel's sins. He will get an abundant, formal, official entrance into heaven for his eternal destiny. What happens at his trial? There's clear, certain evidence and facts are presented for his guilt. What happens at the verdict? Abel is declared righteous due to a substitute's payment. And what a Savior is Jesus our Lord. What happens at sentencing? Little or nothing. He was in heaven. He returns to heaven. Surely there's got to be more. There is. What happens at sentencing? He is formally, officially declared to have eternal life by the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God. What happens at sentencing? In the case of God versus Abel, God wins. Abel wins. It's wonderful. What are the results? The universe will know the riches of God's grace, love, and mercy like they have never even imagined them before. What results? The universe will know Jesus died for Abel's sins against perfect, merciful, beneficial laws. What results? God is exalted, glorified, and honored for perfect, righteous salvation because he punished his son instead of Abel. More results. God is good. Love found a way. Justice is kept. Victims are defended by punishment of Jesus Christ for Abel's sins against everyone Abel sinned against. What else results? God demonstrates and exhibits his great love and sovereign choice. Abel and the saved will praise God and his son Jesus through eternity. These are the results. God's glory is exalted like never before by adoption of guilty enemies. Amen and amen. This is what's coming. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, okay, that's Romans 9, 22, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That is what we're moving toward. No, hardly anyone other than a few of God's children by faith, and then not most of them, 
fully appreciate the Son of God and the cross of Calvary because it's not visible yet. It's by faith in His Word, but it will all be visible. The whole universe will know that God hates liars. And all liars will be punished the way that dads would like to punish them by the lake of fire. Except for Jesus Christ, who is always true, the true and faithful witness, whose righteousness we get clothed in, so our lies are all paid for. God is exalted in his righteousness. Jesus is exalted in the punishment that he bore for our sins. God's sovereignty is exalted by the choice he made, and it's visible before the whole universe of saved angels, not saved, but elect angels, and rejected angels, saved men, rejected men, all visibly displayed. God is infinitely able to do that with each of us very easily. It's not like time's going to end. Heaven and earth will end. We'll stand before God. He doesn't need eternity to do this. He can do this in an instant of time if he chooses to do it that fast. If he wants to draw it out a little bit, he's welcome to do that. And he's able to do that. Don't, Don't worry about those details so much since the Bible doesn't tell us. It just tells us that it's going to be public. It's going to be before one judgment seat. It's called one day of wrath, one day of judgment that's coming. The heaven and earth are going to flee away from the face of him that sits on the throne of Revelation chapter 20. We don't believe in more judgments any more than we believe in more resurrections. When we were once Arminians, we believed in a resurrection of the righteous at the rapture. Let's see, did they raise the, did Jesus raise the dead at the rapture? It's been a long time. Okay. And then seven years later, there's this and that, and there's another resurrection of the wicked. But that's not taught in the Bible. There is one resurrection. You read it last evening, John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. All that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good, under the resurrection of life. They that have done evil, under the resurrection of damnation. That is one resurrection. That is one call by Jesus Christ to his judgment seat, where all will be dealt with in the way that I've described to you in the first service and here now. Remanding the elect to heaven and the reprobates to hell to await trial in the great day of judgment is perfectly just. There are phases or stages in our legal process of arrest, arraignment, judgment, sentencing or trial, sentencing, execution, during which a person may be held in jail for quite some time. What's the average time between sentencing for capital punishment and actual execution of it? Around 15 years. That is unjust. Because that makes victims wait 15 years for the pleasure of having their lights dim. You say, did you have to say that? Yes. Be thankful that I said only that. Right. You light up my life. It was a perfect song. Yeah. Do, you, do you want me to read some of the verses in the Bible about what God thinks of murderers? Mm-hmm. Their light shall be put out. Right. He hates murderers. The wicked are in hell now, but the day of judgment will declare guilt and desert of eternal hell. Because there'll be a judgment. They can bring their defense. They can whine about it. They can say they weren't their brother's keeper like Cain did. 
They can say, my punishment is too great for me to bear. They can say, Lord, Lord, have we not, have we not, have we not? And none of that will matter. That will be their defense. They'll, they'll mount the best defense they possibly can. But the Lord Jesus Christ will open the books of heaven and reveal all their secret faults and everything they've done in their bodies. And the whole universe will know that God is absolutely just and fair. And that every soul that is sent to hell belongs in hell because they were, they were guilty of numerous crimes sufficient for hell. And then they will see that some are taken into heaven, not by favoritism, not because they earned it part, partly themselves and partly God, but because they were just as guilty as those that were sent to hell, but Jesus Christ made the difference. Yeah. And so they will see the justice of God even in the salvation of the elect, because for the elect to be saved, the Son of God will be there, and it will be obvious that he is the Lamb slain, and he will have delivered their souls from what they deserve themselves. This is what is coming. This is what John 18 and 19 is in the Bible for, to tell us what happened to Jesus Christ, so that we would believe that he is the Son of God, but then to take what else the Bible tells us and realize in the great day of judgment, Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is the judge when it's viewed from one angle. He is the mediator, the intercessor, the lawyer, the counselor from another, from another angle. There isn't a contradiction there. The Bible tells him, I don't want to get off on that subject. There is not a contradiction there. It's just looking at it from different angles. God has appointed Jesus judge. You can read that throughout the epistles of the New Testament because that was one of the things the apostles wanted to be known very clearly. God has appointed Jesus to be judge. That's why I keep referring to him in a term from our country. He is the sitting judge because he's the one in office appointed to do the work of fact-finding, which he already knows about, but they're in the books, and the whole universe will know that God is just. God is right. God is righteous. Every perfection of God that we know about, that we delight in, that can be demonstrated in a situation like the great day of judgment, will be exposed to the universe. You will see how perfect God is in every one of his attributes that run all the way from love to vengeance. It'll all be there. He calls it my wrath and my power, Romans 9.22, the riches of my glory and my grace, Romans 9.23. That's what the New Testament teaches. We're waiting for that. No one has seen Cain. No one knows if Cain is really suffering. You will know that Cain is really suffering and will really suffer for eternity and for what crimes in the great day of judgment. No one is going to think God is unfair except about their little own selves, but they will still know that they are guilty. And the Bible pictures them as calling for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb. God's sentencing and rewarding before the universe is just like the legal sentencing on earth. You know, for those of you that weren't old enough to remember the, the Manson family trials of, and the verdict and sentencing of 1971... You do remember, I mean, uh, let's see, O.J. Simpson had a trial that everybody, you know, weighed in on and couldn't wait for a verdict. I didn't use that for an example because it's not a verdict of justice. I used the Manson family, but the whole world waited for the public statement of the verdict, then the sentencing. There were two great pieces of information that were wonderful news. Guilty. All on trial, guilty for all crimes that they were charged with and 
death penalty in the gas chamber of California in 1971 when they still had the death penalty. That was wonderful news. And it's going to be wonderful news in the great day of judgment about the glorious perfections of God, his perfect fairness, with never giving us as humans any commandments that we shouldn't have wanted to keep because they were all for our benefit and the benefit of others and the benefit of society. They were perfectly holy and just, righteous in all his ways. And we rebelled against him. And if you're worried about little children or babies that are there, they will be held accountable for the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. A representative stood in place for them that was far more intelligent than they were, had only one commandment to keep, and he didn't keep it out of rebellion and his heart's desire to have Eve instead of God. And that is the sober facts of what the Bible teaches. I will never teach that all babies are in heaven. That is a ridiculous, sentimental, lunatic idea. I don't know how in the world anyone could come up with that if they've ever read Romans chapter 5 or 1 Corinthians 15 that says, as an Adam, all die. That is, that is more fair than giving them their own chance. Whatever you mean by your own chance. What do you mean your own chance? For some baby to grow up and commit one million sins against harder commandments? Adam just had one little commandment to keep, and I don't want to spend any more time on that point. It's the Word of God. So if you're thinking of babies being there and having no sins to lay to their charge, they have a huge sin laid to their charge. They ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when they lived in a perfect world, had a perfect wife. All they had to do was dress the garden, and they had one little commandment to keep. And they were very intelligent. And the best of God's human creatures, the first one of us all, and they disobeyed. They rebelled flagrantly, hid from God, excused themselves, blamed the woman, everything that is on the head of every conceived human person in the history of the world. That is called original sin. Let's not get waylaid by that. God's sentencing and rewarding before the universe is just like what happens on earth. He wants to make known that he's the blessed and only potentate. He wants to make his wrath and power and his grace known. There was judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD for not knowing the time of their visitation of the Son of God. Think about the greatest tribulation in the history of the known world. That's what God says about it. There was no tribulation like it in the 4,000 years running up to 70 AD. There'll be no tribulation on earth after it like 70 A.D., and that was because they did not recognize or worship and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So that was just a foretaste of what's coming in the great day of judgment. On the day of Pentecost, there were rewards poured out. Jesus Christ sat down in heaven. Having finished his work, God gave him the gift of the Holy Ghost and ministerial and Holy Spirit gifts to give to his church, which he did in the day of Pentecost. So there have been rewards and punishments meted out already, but they're nothing in comparison to what is coming in the great day of judgment. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God has his own due process and heaven's jurisprudence, and he as judge also makes examples of sinners, and all of it is fulfilled in the great day of judgment. There will examples be made of sinners for the glory of God. I hope that everything I've said so far is understood. The Bible gives us a glimpse of what's coming to this universe. 
These things are so incredible that the angels desire to look into them. What do you think the angels desire to look into? A crown of thorns? Don't get me wrong. The eternal destiny of rational creatures by the sovereign power of God and the salvation of many sinful men by the interposition and merits of the Lord Jesus Christ because there was no Savior raised up for them and their fallen comrades. Their fallen comrades are going straight to hell and the lake of fire is called a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels and that's where sinful men will be sent while they're howling that they know the Lord. The Lord is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me that work iniquity, cursed into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, depending on which version you would like of it, Matthew 7 or Matthew 25. Credible. Now the cross takes on glory. So let's finish up with a few thoughts about the coming greatest glory of the cross. What does change due to judgment day? The great day of sentencing of angels and men. What changes? God formally and officially states those who must pay eternally for their many sins. The soul that sinneth it shall die the second death. God formally and officially declares those who were saved by the merits of his son. God gets glory in both. While based on legal justice, this day is the ultimate public display of God's glory, his son's glory, and the glory of the cross. Legal salvation occurred 2,000 years ago at Calvary, but it was not visible to men. This will be visible to men and angels. The universe will know some guilty angels and men must suffer eternally for sins, and it is just for it to occur. The universe will know some guilty men are justified, righteous, and adopted as sons. The universe will see God's glory ultimately displayed in vengeance and salvation. The universe will see elect angels chosen to remain holy while others were let fall. The universe will see the, divine, the, the defining event for the sons of God to be the cross of Christ. It's the book of life of the Lamb slain. It's the book of life of the Lamb slain. It's the book of life of the Lamb slain. We will remember the Lamb being slain when we take a torn piece of bread and remember his broken body, and when we take a cup of wine and remember his shed blood, we will remember it was the lamb slain. Because this communion service that we're about to have in a few minutes is for us to remember the Lord's death, the Lord's death until he comes. Because his death paid for our life. His death saved us from death. And we will take the cup And we will say this cup is the New Testament. Or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because there was a book taken out of the hands of Almighty God sitting on his throne in Revelation chapter 5. And it is the book of the everlasting covenant. How do we know that? Because when it had the seals ripped off it, let's back up. Because John wept. Why was John weeping? Because there were benefits in that book that he wanted. And nobody could open the book. And as soon as the book was opened, the choirs of heaven burst out in singing about the death of the Lamb and the consequences of the death of the Lamb. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation on earth. And we shall 
be kings and priests unto our God and shall reign on the earth. That's how you know that it's the book of the everlasting covenant because they're singing about the benefits of the everlasting covenant. And the other, the other occurrence in the book of Revelation that shows us this particular transaction is when there was war in heaven in Revelation chapter 12 and there is a loud voice that comes out of heaven saying, now is come salvation because the legal price was paid but the world hasn't seen it yet in the kingdom of our Christ. Revelation 12 verses 10 and 11. The difference between heaven and hell for sinful men will be the Lord's crucifixion. What we've been looking at. We're just trying to take all that's in the New Testament and pull it together so that we properly understand John 18 and 19 and the value of what God did to Jesus instead of us and what Jesus submitted to and what he willingly went to the cross for. We want to see that by looking at when the cross comes into full play. Right now, all that the cross means to you is a matter of faith. Let me tell you something. A, a decent Catholic knows about the crucifixion better than you do. They specialize in it. They even know what it looks like because they have it around their neck. They have it on their bedroom wall, and everywhere they go, they have it. They have it in their key ring. They have it in their car. They have a crucifix. They specialize in the crucifixion. They specialize in Jesus Christ dying. They have Good Friday services. They do all kinds of things to remember the crucifixion. They have the gospel read every Sunday in Mass. Gospels are read. Gospels are kissed. Gospels are read. But I don't want you to be content with John 18 and 19 telling us about a crown made of thorns and the other issues that are there. And you know I taught it with as much zeal as I am now and with great joy, but I want you to look beyond it to see when God's going to get all the benefit from that cross. Because there is a time coming in which God will be vindicated and honored before the universe for his absolute perfect holiness and righteousness, justness and sovereignty, and Jesus Christ, his son, as the most fantastic, impeccable judge in the history of the universe and the savior of sinners who also paid for their adoption for them to inherit the universe with him as joint heirs, all because of the cross. The cross! And so we have communion, our fourth Sunday in a row, to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for dying for us. This formal moment in history manifests God's righteousness, His mercy, and His Son. Without judgment day, there is no time or event where the universe sees His glory. Remember all those questions I asked at the beginning? Think about them. Without judgment day, there is no time or event where the universe sees all His glory. How many people understood the cross when the cross occurred? Do you want to give me a number? Was it five? Do you want to tell me the 11 apostles understood the cross when it occurred? Do you think the women understood the cross when it occurred? Why were they still hauling spices three days later? What were they going to spice up? What were they going to anoint? Didn't they get the resurrection yet? How do we know anything about it? We weren't there. We haven't seen it. We read the account, we believe it by faith. Right. But we still can't see its effects. 
We've never seen anyone in hell, and no one from hell has come back to tell us what it was like to be in hell. Cain's going to come back from hell, and we're going to know all about it in the great day of judgment. Whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Then we'll appreciate God our Father, Jesus, His Son, and the cross of Calvary. It takes delivering other sinners as guilty or worse for adoption by His glorious grace. That'll show so much. Satan will be judged and sent to hell by saved sinners. We're going to be declared righteous and sons of God, and we're going to join with Jesus in sending the devil to hell. First right. Corinthians 6, 1 through 3, Romans 16, verse 20. We're going to bruise Satan under our feet. Can you believe that? Who's going to make that? Do you know what's going to do you know the shaking that's going to go on in the great day of judgment? Those angelic beings are greater in power and might and glory than we are, but we're going to judge them. We're going to sit in judgment on them because we're going to be righteous as the sons of God alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. God has not yet benefited, not yet been glorified, finally, totally, and universally for sending His Son on the cross of Calvary like He will be then. He will be vindicated against enemies, admired by friends, and His Son preeminent in the universe. This drama is unbelievable. If you can imagine a father doing this for his son, Jesus, his son, the man, the man, Jesus, God, can't be glorified. He's already infinitely glorious by being divine. But Jesus, the man, will be glorified over this universe and is a judge to sit on all men, Pilate, Caiaphas, Adolf, and Mao, all of them, and then the angels. Satan attacked the Lord Jesus Christ. He had children killed when he was born, up to two years of age, and throughout his whole life, Satan attacked the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ will have the last laugh about Satan, and he wants you to participate in it with him. All glory to God and his Son. The bruises, pain, torture, wounds, and death truly measure God's demanding justice, which was completely satisfied by God taking pleasure Pounding his son for us. And it'll be seen in that day. Because we will not be pounded by being cast into the lake of fire. The calumny, mocking, reproach, slander, and death Jesus bore rightly declare our great guilt. For he suffered those things for us who fully deserved them forever. The four categories of suffering and death rightly value the gift of eternal life. For it could not have been obtained for sinners like us by any lesser pain or by any other means. The difference between eternal torment and inheriting the universe. The difference. Is that a difference? Between eternal, eternal torment and inheriting the universe. Is that a difference? It's all by the cross. All by the cross. God had to choose us in his son, Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ to die for us. But the focal point is the cross. He died for us that we might have eternal life and that eternal inheritance. The difference between God's wrath and power and his rich grace is all but the cross. The difference between the lake of fire forever and paradise with God forever is the book of life of the lamb slain, meaning the cross where the lamb was slain. Those who abused, slandered, tortured, and killed Jesus will rue the day 
they ever thought to do so, and so will all other sinners that presume to rebel against God and give him no place in their lives. Where I come from, the pagan profane state of Michigan, the name of Jesus Christ is used in swear, swearing more often than it is in sincerity among professionals. It's a profane state. I've heard that name so many times when I was in banking. They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God his Father. They have judgments the most important event or time due to its revelation of the great perfections of God. The glory here is far greater than the glory of the created heavens. You know, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. So that light bulb declares the glory of God. The stars declare the glory of God. I'm not denying it. I just want you to think about it. Really? They really make him glorious? Is there another level of glory? Is the other level of glory transcendently higher? It's moral character. There is no morality in the sun except benevolence to enemies because he sends his sunshine and his rain on the evil and the good. I believe all those things, and I believe everything the Bible says about them, but I want to tell you there's progressive revelation, and David knew so little, and only a few times did David write about the great day of judgment, but it is progressive revelation by the time we get to the book of Revelation in our Bibles, then we find that about an event that's going to take place that is far greater than creating the heavens and the earth. So while the heavens declare the glory of God, the gospel declares the glory of God, and his providence declares the glory of God, and conscience declares the glory of God, and the righteousness of thy laws being implanted in our hearts and minds, there is coming a day where there's going to be no questions but public display of the perfections of God in every conceivable way, from love and adoption to vengeance and hatred and judgment for sin. That is what the Bible teaches, and that is what is lost The world today, the Christian world today, they will no longer endure sound doctrine. Nobody wants to hear a sermon about hell. Nobody wants to hear about what I've told you about today. But what I told you about today is coming. And it's coming soon. And you should look forward to it. Because the Bible tells us to look forward to it. We're going to admire him in that day. Yes, he's going to open the books and find out that you deserve to go to hell and Jesus Christ is going to save you by dying on the cross for you. Don't you think it takes that combination for you to appreciate the cross? Right. He's not going to say to you, I never knew that you sinned. I thought you got here half by you and half by me. <laughs> no, he's going to let it be visibly known, universally understood that we sinned against his righteous laws as much as or more than those that went to hell, but we're going to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us when Jesus is revealed from heaven to destroy those with flaming fire and vengeance of his mighty angels on those that obey not the gospel, that obey not God nor nor his gospel, that he will be admired in that day by us. The contrast is enormous. We will admire him in that day. The the warnings that the Bible gives us is that we want to live in such a way that we can lay up a foundation and be confident as we approach death and as we approach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible wants us to make our calling and election sure. The Bible doesn't want us to be living in sin so that we come to that day and are ashamed. You know, even when we're ashamed, we're still going to know that Jesus is there for us and our soul is not going to drop into hell. 
But let me tell you something. If you presume on that, of I can go ahead and live in sin, I'll just be a little ashamed when Jesus comes, if that's how you're reasoning, you're going to hell. Because righteous people never reason that way. Their damnation is just. Romans chapter 3, the first eight verses, about people that even think a thought like that. Don't ever think about being forgiven. Don't sin. Then you don't need to be forgiven. If you do sin, then confess it and be forgiven. But you know, I hope you know what I mean. Don't presume on forgiveness. The books will be opened. All will be condemned with perfect justice following. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ will be imputed to some for their salvation. Sinful angels and all men will be condemned, but Christ's cross will save some men and no angels. There's two verses in the Bible that tell us that God arranged it in such a way for the angels to be humbled by him saving lower creatures than them. 1 Peter 1.12, angels desire to look into these things. Ephesians 3 and verse 10, which is more obscure, but it's just got the very same message, that Jesus Christ arranged these things for principalities and powers in heavenly places to understand him by his treatment of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. Do you know there's a whole religious denomination in America that all they can do is rejoice in the spiritual gifts given to them? But let's, let's rejoice in this church that our names are written in heaven. And our names are written in heaven in the book of life of the Lamb slain. Of the Lamb slain. John wept. Terrible. He was messed up. There's the book of the everlasting covenant. No one in heaven, earth, or hell, or under the earth, or anywhere can open the book that's in the hand of the Father sitting on the throne. And an elder comes over and says, John, don't weep. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The lamb has prevailed. And John looked around and says he saw a lamb as it had been. This is what God put on my heart to give you today. We cannot go to John 20 and verse 1. Though I was was vibrating on Monday, I was out of my mind with joy about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have got to know what that cross paid for in light of the rest of Scripture. We're stuck in, we're limited by being in John. Expository preaching is wonderful, but it does limit you because all we get is what John gave us in John 18 and 19, and all it is is a string of facts about what happened to Jesus in a 24-hour period of his life on earth. But then when we get into John's other writings, we find out, oh boy, that cross is going to come back and it's going to be the most visible event in the universe of God saving wicked sinners that deserve to go to hell like the rest of their race. And that God is just in sending some men to hell for their sins and punishing Jesus Christ on behalf of others who get to go to heaven without sin. That's the gospel. Until then, there is near total ignorance of God's glory compared to what will then be. And that's all I I love. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6 as much as you do. But until then, there is near total ignorance of God's glory and the glory of his Son compared to what will then be visible. Sinners like Cain, Judas, Caiaphas, Charles Manson die and disappear just like the righteous. Saints like Abel, Anna, Peter, Tabitha, and Paul die and disappear just like the wicked. Remember Ecclesiastes 9. 
from an earthly viewpoint, there's no difference. We're in here to put our affection on things above and have a heavenly viewpoint because that's the one that counts. If you get your mind and eyes on the earthly viewpoint, you will be disappointed because you'll see sinners prospering more than you are, happier, ha more happy than you are, happier than you are. But if, as soon as you move from this horizontal perspective like Asaph in Psalm 73, oh yeah, then I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Oh Lord, forgive me, I've been like an animal before you. I'm just a stupid beast. That's what Asaph said in Psalm 73. Because you're going to awake when you awake. That's the day of judgment when God awakes. It's going to be ugly for them and beautiful for us. God hasn't fully displayed it, but he will. In that day, you will know God's love and the only possible Savior from your sins. In that day, you'll appreciate every bruise and drop of blood spilt for your sins. In that day, you'll understand you deserve the reproach and slander that he took. In that day, you will see God was pleased to bruise and kill his son instead of you. In that day, you will know God's mere will and Jesus' death by it saved your soul. In that day, you will understand and appreciate limited atonement like never before. In that day, the universe will know Jesus is crowned, a fact that most don't know right now. Jesus has been crowned in heaven. Why do you wait until then? What are you waiting for? What should you be doing? You should shout. Amen. My name's in the book of life. Amen. You should shout. What are you waiting for? Till then? Uh, I've, got, I've got to give you a warning. If you're going to wait till then, there's no evidence you have eternal life. If you understood this by grace and that the Holy Spirit had implanted something in your heart and mind and you understand that stood the Bible with the, with the ability of a new man, you'd be wanting to shout right now. My name is in the book of life. If your life is so pitiful, you don't know your name is in the book of life, then why don't we change it this coming week? By next Sunday, we can all know that we're in the book of life. Amen. It's very simple. It's an eight-step method. It's 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. It really is simple. And we can know it about each other so we can help each other live and die in the Lord. Let's be with each other on their deathbeds, not asking to get some final confession of faith out of them, but rejoicing that their name is written in heaven. I want the experience 200 times over that I had with a young man that was strapped to a surfboard in the emergency room of GHS. That was fun in that waiting room, as much as it can be fun when a young man is strapped to a surfboard. Let's all be that way. And even that young man, you just keep it up every day of your life. Let's make our calling and election sure. Let's lay up and store a good foundation against the time to come. Let's be excited and celebrate that our names are written in heaven. It's just wonderful. I hope you've understood what I've tried to say. The choirs of heaven sing praise to the Lamb for salvation. It's all about the Lamb. It was imprudent for us to rush on to John 20 without this. Make sure your name's in the book of life. It's easy. And let's take communion, seeing the Lamb... The lamb as slain and his chosen ones in his covenant book. Because I'm going to say, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. And our names are there. Beneficiaries of the everlasting covenant of God. The last will and testament of God. A will is going to be read in heaven. It's called the book of life. What are the benefits? 
inherit the universe, join heirs with Jesus Christ, that's all. You know what the Bible says? All things are yours. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. To him that overcometh will I give all things. Right. Revelation chapter 20. It's, fant- it's unbelievable. The last will and testament of God. The beneficiaries are listed at the end of a will or at the beginning of a will, whenever, wherever they're listed in a particular will. But the beneficiaries are in the book of life. And all of that is ours because of the lamb that was slain for us. And it's his book. Your little life here of having a birthday, getting a birthday card, cutting your grass, going to work, getting a raise, drinking a cup of coffee and enjoying it because you put French vanilla creamer in it. Brethren, whatever, whatever you think your life is, what is your life? Getting married? You're not going to be married in heaven. The cross crushes marriage. There's no marriage in heaven. Enjoy it while you're down here. I mean that. But there's no marriage in heaven. Because the things that we enjoy the most in this life, and I'm just trying to list a whole bunch of little things that we enjoy, are nothing compared to the cross. When we see the cross, heaven will be everything and earth will be nothing, and we'll be glad to be with the Lord forever. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. I wish I could do it better for you. I wish I could convey it to all of you to know it like I know it. And I want to know it better. How's that? I'm still not content with what I know, but I still can't convey to you what I do know. But it's beautiful. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, John 20, verse 1. Mary, that'll do. Master.